Um, then I wanted to make sure it was as impactful as possible. I'd just finished sailing around the world with the Clipper race. I'd only been sailing about a year before then as a deckhand, thinking to myself, well, I've just done what A, I never thought was possible before for me, and B, like that I thought I would be even capable of doing. And here I am, a circumnavigator. Like what else could I do? And so Antarctica seemed like a natural flow on from that. And then we did the Sydney to Hobart with the all girl team and did a mentor program for women in sailing. Uh, and then I went on to do the Australia record, second Antarctica, and here we are. My goodness. Planning in New like? Zealand. Wow. It's an incredible story that she tells. There's so much more to be told. In this instance, the more funding we can get for Lisa to achieve what she wants to achieve, in turn, we can make a difference to the environment altogether. And that's really important. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I really appreciate it. Hi, and welcome to the Boat Princess podcast. My name is Nikki Vo, and I'm your host. I am a boat owner, a marina owner, a director on the Marina Industries Association, and a huge advocate for boating. In this series, I'm sharing the stories from every nook of the boating industry with the intention of encouraging more women to join me and for more women to get behind the helm too. I want to share the experience and opportunities of boating, of the boating industry, and I want you to join me as I bring the conversations and answer all the questions you've had. Boating is not just for the glamorous and rich and famous. It's full of beautiful and interesting people making the most of our natural environment and getting out there, enjoying the waterways. So let's set off the lines, take over the helm and escape to the world of boating. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Boat Princess podcast. I know I get excited about my episodes, but this one I am super excited about. Lisa Blair is an incredible sailor who has been the fastest person to sail solo, nonstop, and unassisted around Antarctica. She holds five world records and... Oh, she's just a bit amazing, really. So, Lisa Blair, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Nikki. That was an awesome intro. <laughs> I lose interviews because of the name of the boat. No way. Totally. All oh the my. time. Oh, that, All the time. That's... Or they would edit it out or they would – it was hilarious. Well, not hilarious. It was disgusting. But anyway, yeah. that's – and I have been shouted out of ports by fishing boats and, like, we don't want your kind here and, like – but none really? of them have really taken the moment to really learn what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And it's not pointing yeah. fingers. It's not showing the problems. It's it's, it's encouraging people as an individual to take back that power for our environment and yeah. to protect it and yeah. to fall in love with it the same way I have. Um, and so this trip, though, I knew if I was going to go and do the Southern Ocean again and if I was going to go and put myself through that again because yes, I knew what I was up for, it's, it's <laughs> then I wanted to make sure it was as impactful as possible. Yeah. And so I actually eventually, and I tried to do this on the first project and couldn't find the right network of people to reach into, but this time I was able to tap into the science community correctly. And so I was able to become a, a Decade of Ocean Science initiative boat and we modified the sail locker on board. I sacrificed my sail locker and we turned it into a lab at sea, like a micro lab. 
And I had to raise 150000 to install all this gear on the boat. And I rented all this science equipment. And one of the units was a subsea research unit, um, which was owned by the Volvo Ocean or the Ocean Race now. But the And they had used it around the world in their circumnavigation. They leased it to me along with a microplastic sampler. And then I partnered up with like the Bureau of Meteorology, um, CSIRO, um, Ocean Ops, Australian Institute of Marine Science. And just basically I put my hand up to them and said, I'm going to be in the Southern Ocean for three months. The boat's not stopping but what can I do that's going to make a difference to you? Because it's such a data sparse part of our world. It is. It's so it hard really is. to get research yeah. down there. Yeah. And like it, that whole project was maybe 600000 for me to dro- drive that project out. But for them to send a research vessel down there would be millions. Yeah. And so, if, and so we basically put as much on the boat as we could, including like the Seabed 2030 program, which is something every sailor can do, um, which is logging the depth sounder. Um, it's this little data logger you put in that logs the amount of depth that you have. Because there's a lot of that that's completely missing. Well, isn't exactly. There? So, yeah. so I think it was 2017. They'd only mapped 8.9 percent of the seafloor. Yeah. We knew more about Mars than yeah. we did about our own seafloor. Um, we're now up to I think it's 28 yeah, percent with so the seabed. Still only 28 percent. So yeah, it's a global coordination between citizen science and government agencies, the Seabed 2030 program, to map the seafloor. And the other thing I didn't know about it, which I recently, well, not recently, but when I first partnered up with them, learned about, was how impactful it would be for us understanding the effects of climate change with sea level rising. Ah, okay. Because you actually know how much land and water mass, you can calculate that once you know what the seafloor is. Yes. Um, and the other thing with it, which was really amazing, was the accuracy of like tsunami alerts. Ah, once yes. they know what the seafloor is, they can yes. map the wave patterns and the wave formations and locations of impact. Which is life-saving stuff. Massively. Yeah. And so it's a they have a massive citizen science program. So you can email them Seabed 2030 program or get in contact with me and I'll put you in touch. Um, and they'll send you a data logger. You put it on any boat, whether you're doing big ocean trips or coastal, if you're day sailing, it doesn't matter. All of that data is useful. Yeah. Um, and anywhere we can get it, around the world is useful. So yeah, it's a really cool program that anyone can get involved with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we, the, the benefit for me was having the science as a core focus took away from the fact that I was effectively doing the same trip twice. Yes. And it gave me a real purpose as to why I was out there. Yeah. And my focus wasn't the record, even though I knew I could break the world record. I knew- By 10 days. Well, yeah, Just so. you know, minor details. Um, <laughs> but but it, it, it told me that, like, it didn't matter. The record didn't matter anymore. Yes. It yeah. wasn't about the record. It was about the fact that I was able to generate science information that was unheard of yeah. because I was going to such a remote location. But it gives you a massive purpose as well, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. Massive purpose. And it turned out that I was able to complete the single largest microplastic survey of the Antarctic region to ever take place in the number of samples collected and the spatial distribution of those samples, period. Look at you. Like, and that's something I didn't even anticipate happening. And the yeah. Australian Institute of Marine Science is a massive partner of mine. They've processed all the samples. Um, and, yeah, it was just like groundbreaking to yeah. know that I could create that kind of impact. And so, you know, going back to our earlier kind of question, for me, I'm still doing these records because it's such a powerful platform 
to not just create conversation and education around sustainability in all sorts of forms, but it's also a really impactful way of collecting data for these remote regions and in interesting capacities for scientific groups like you know, the Australian Institute of Marine Science or the UN with the Decade of Ocean Science Initiative. Um, so yeah, so it's definitely got me doing a lot more of that now. Yeah, and so, uh, and th- and this is amazing because you're you're not only doing it when you're sailing, mm. but then you come back and you do a whole bunch of presentations and you're Heaps invited to speak at different things and and free so talks you, to schools. Period. Yeah. Yep. So, so you're impacting a massive amount of people. Yeah. Not just when you're sailing. And the I media think that's so key for, for the for the success of the sustainability. It's that storytelling. Yeah. yeah. If people don't feel connected to the ocean, they're not going to protect it. If they don't feel connected to the forest, they're not going to protect it. No. It just becomes this thing that other people are worried about, you know. And so I think as sailors we're able to travel to such remote regions and to bring those stories back, bring those visuals back, show people on remote beaches the plastic pollution and, you know, and tell that story in a way that's not catastrophizing it but it's empowering people to own their mistakes and step up and take a positive action and I think that's the big thing too for me is that it always has to be framed around the positive um what was interesting with your story is that the catastrophizing bit is the survival for you yes right so the that that story that that people are searching for that that drama yeah that's my near-death experiences you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that you've got that yeah. right so you've yeah. got that pull to to be that speaker yeah to be that person to be the resilience mindset speaker but then yeah. that allows you to give this incredible exactly. positive story so you get the attention by having that but then you've got this amazing story that you can share that really allows you to make a difference and impact on exactly people and-, and I'll do a corporate keynote and I'll always check with the company hiring me but I'll say to them look I do this thing where I collect post-it note messages can I do that at this event and almost like I don't I don't think I've ever had anyone say no no and so then at the end I'm chatting to people they're filling out a post-it note they're getting involved they're thinking about hang on what do I do yeah and it's just that few seconds of going hang on what is my action Yes. What am I doing? What am I doing? Or what could I do that yeah. I'm not doing already? Yeah. And that's simple. Like it's yeah. not life-changing stuff. It's just basic things like supplementing one thing for the other or making a smarter choice when you're at the grocery store. Like it's it's really simple things, but they do make a difference when they you've do. got a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is I think for me it's 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 really kind of I'm now trying to step up that platform and make it even louder and and more impactful and I'm looking to try and create a school program where kids can partner with me. They can follow the tracker. They can do, you know, kid-specific Zoom calls and videos just for them and answer their questions from the middle of the ocean and, like, take them on that adventure but have that sustainability stuff woven through with it. So they're learning about the science and the reasons why it's important but going on a brilliant adventure with me at the same time. And I think that that is like a life-changing platform to create. Absolutely. Especially if uh, I know you know you don't like to focus on the woman versus the man, but if a young girl is sitting at school and yeah. seeing you achieve that, then suddenly she thinks, what I can, can I do? do that too. Why exactly. not me? Right? Yeah. So so I think you know <coughs> um, you can only be what you can see. So if you're if you're that visual to so many young yeah. girls and, and young women, that's just that's just fantastic. Yeah. <gasps> and so I'm like 
I've, I've did the Antarctica record again, got rolled three times in the Southern Ocean, so it wasn't easy. The storms overall. Sorry, hang on, hang on. Just explain what get rolled because you made that sound so simple. Oh, yeah, so basic, right? <laughs> Take my 10-ton boat and a 15-metre wave, combine them together and the boat's suddenly upside down. <laughs> what, what happens to the boat, In just to explain? I'm surprised the boat's still intact, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but basically, like, the what will happen is... So, I, like, I wear body armour 24-7 in my base layers, so it's woven into my clothing because of the extreme nature of the kind of sailing I do. And so in these storms, I will lock myself into the boat and I'll tie myself into my bunk Right, is generally where I'll be. If I'm not there, I'll be in my nav station, which is a really small compartment. So the intention is that if the boat's flipped, I won't get impacted. And the first role that I had on this last record was, um, where was I? I was almost at the same position I dismastered last time. Oh. And I'd done the whole, I was three quarters of the way around Antarctica, so I'd done Iceberg Alley, I'd done Cape Horn, I'd done all of those conditions. It was the home stretch, but I was in a storm that was generating 60 to 80 knots of wind. 60 uh, to 80? Yeah, base, yeah, that's kind oh of most of the storms, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> down there anyway. Um, but yeah, and, and so it generated this massive sea state and what will happen is the boat will be kind of sailing along or hove to. At this point, I was still sailing because the forecasted swell was only six metres. And so it wasn't meant to be this bad. And normally six metres, I can sail through it and keep sailing and it's not, I don't have to stop and hove to. Yeah. Um, so as I'm sailing along, I suddenly, I <laughs> actually, I'd had my full mental breakdown that morning because I'd had 50, 50 hours of no more than two hours of occurred 10-minute sleeps and I had to get up at like 5.30 to change the microplastic samples. So I did that and I had been shivering in my bunk for about four to six hours at this point because I was my body was so fatigued, it basically started shutting down. Ooh. And so instead of trying to keep me warm, it was trying to keep the core warm. Yeah. So I was losing the temperature out of my extremities and, and everything. And so shivering uncontrollably for hours in all my wet weather gear, uh, sorry, in all my like warm gear in my sleeping bag with hot water bottles, I could not get warm. My core temperature was at critical low. Um, so all of that was happening and I made a conscious choice that I would leave the boat to sail I wouldn't change the sails because I was so tired and I was getting these blizzards coming through a squall. So every sort of couple of hours you would just get 50 knots, 60 knots of wind and it would dump hail and snow and a couple of inches of snow and then it'd move off. So I'd been doing a lot of sail changes, additional sail changes. And um, and basically like I thankfully was in my bunk with the first impact but I was lying in my bunk trying to sleep and about 20 minutes of lying there, we just got slammed by this wave and it hit the side of the boat so hard that it basically tossed the whole boat airborne. <gasps> and as we got airborne, I was airborne in my bunk and then we slammed down on the other side of the hull. And as we impacted, the crunch noise that makes, like it makes you think that you've snapped the boat or yeah. something because it's yeah. so powerful. But as we hit there, then the wave caught us. And it picked up the keel of the boat and flipped it upside down. So the keel was up and my mast was below me in the ocean. Oh, my God. And this is normally where a boat will dismast. Yeah. And I was at the place I had previously dismasted and I was in a big storm and mentally I wasn't doing so great and I was so chronically fatigued. So it was a really bad recipe for disaster, right? Yeah. But 
The wave, when it flipped us, it rolled over the top of the boat with so much volume of water and basically like pushed the hull of the boat down into the water and it created a pressure vacuum inside the boat that my ears popped from it. That's how much water was above me. Like we were under the ocean. Gracious. Like I call my boat a submarine. She's like the yellow submarine. Um, And this is one of the clear reasons why. But, yeah, so the whole boat was like pressurised and down. And when she came upright, I just remember thinking, is the mast intact? Like that fear of like going through that again. So I launched up to check the mast and the mast was still standing up there. I don't know how it survived, but David Lamborn rigging, he did an amazing job. And Arcus Wire, like with the wire and everything, just she's a beast. But the mast was still up, the sails were still up, the boat was still sailing. And then I kind of looked around the cabin and the hatch at the entryway had been ripped off and was tangled in the rigging at the back of the boat. Oh. And so this wave had flooded into the cabin. Yeah. And it had flooded all the floorboards were awash and it was like, you know, half a tonne to a tonne of water in the boat. And so I started bailing and I thankfully had the thought forethought to think, check my batteries. And I opened the locker, which is under my bunks in the main compartment to see if the batteries were okay. And as I opened them, I was... <laughs> It's, it's like I, I laugh at it now, but at the time it was absolutely terrifying because my mm. batteries were almost underwater with only like half an inch left at the top where they weren't completely submerged yet. So I started just bailing the water out of the compartment and into the main hull of the boat just to clear the batteries because you're yeah. still slopping around in all this swell and they're not fully waterproof. They're kind of splashproof but not that submersion kind of proof. And so I'm bailing, 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 and as I'm bailing we got hit by a second wave. And the hatch is open. Well, there's no hatch. Yeah, there's Um, no hatch. Yeah. And so I don't know how I managed to do it, but I've got this kind of support post in the centre of the boat that I purposely installed to make sure that that open area of the middle of the boat wasn't so large so that I could move around and be holding on and stuff. And so I hooked an elbow on that and kind of walked up the wall and onto the ceiling of the boat. And then <laughs> <What> you did. <laughs> she's upside down. Uh, and then as the boat kind of came upright, it's a bit more gentle on that writing effect. Yeah, yeah. But she kind of slowly came upright and I kind of fell back into the floor of the boat and then checked my battery compartment again, flooded, kept bailing. And then we got hit by a third wave. And I'm thinking, what's going on? Because this yeah. is meant to be six meter swell. Yeah. And suddenly I'm getting flipped and I hadn't been flipped. Like I'd had knockdowns where I'd been maybe like 150 degrees over, like almost all the way, but not all the way, all the yeah. way. There's yeah. a big difference between almost and there. Yes. And, um, and yeah, and I, and so I was like, right, I get, I got the batteries dry enough. Like they weren't dry at all, but like halfway down and I got my life jacket on and my wet weather gear. And I was like, I have to go out and put the boat hove to, or I'm not going to survive. Mm. And so I crawled outside and I'm tethered onto the boat. I don't leave the hatch in any winds, any conditions without being tethered. And so I'm tethered to the boat and I'm outside and I look out at the ocean and it's all six meter waves. And I'm like, this, not, this isn't make making sense. sense. Yeah. yeah. And then just sort of like I'm like, okay, well, I'll just go hove to anyway and deal with the water and, and all of that. So I start climbing back to the helm station and I'm about halfway back and I'm sort of straddling the traveller in the middle of the cockpit and I just had this like intense feeling of like instinctual fear, like flooding, you know, that response, yes. that fight or flight response, like it just flooded my body. And I was looking down trying to re-clip myself and I just had this shout in my mind, like, look up. 
And I looked up and there was a wave the height of like a five-story building, <gasps> like right above me, like stretched up. And you're not looking across the ocean anymore. Like I had to crane my neck back as hard as I could to be able to see the peak of this wave that was about to crush us. And like, so I was on deck exposed. If I'm caught in those conditions on deck, I'm gone. I'll yeah. be crushed. Um, but not only that, the boat's about to be flipped again. Yeah. And so I remember looking at it and thinking, yeah, nah, not going to happen. I don't know how I had humor still going on, but it was like this <laughs> funny little thing going, yeah, nah, that's my limit. No, 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 no. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and I like launched myself and I just dove for the hatch and I couldn't get into the hatch in time, but I had this like hard cutty that's like a protective zone. And so I dove for that. And I got a hand on the safety rail that was like inside like a handrail and the whole boat was flipped and I was just underwater holding on as hard as I could as I'm just getting thrashed around in that zone. We're upside down and then we came back upright and I remember looking at the ocean just thinking it's all six metres again. And I realised that the storm was a pretty small storm system and it had generated two different swells and every now and then they were doubling up. And so the six-metre waves from the northwest, six-metre waves from the northeast were meeting and when they would double up, they were generating these 12 to 15 metre waves. Wow. And that's what was flipping me. And because it was a short kind of fast storm, they generally the formation of the waves quite different. Instead of it being um, like a long rolling, really wide wave, they can tend to be quite steep, sharp waves. Yep. So it had that more force behind it with that throwing of the boat kind of effect. And um, as I stayed sheltered, I was trying to get a gap between these big waves coming through that was big enough to get back to the helms. Yeah. It took me like maybe 40 minutes to get back to the helms and put the boat hove to. And as soon as we were hove to, we were fine. We, I went to bed. Like it was fine. Wow. Dealt with the water and then eventually got to bed and finally got some sleep after my mental breakdown that morning. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it was like, yeah, it's, it's one of those things on a trip like that, like you – like I, I went through so many storms. I had so many knockdowns and brooches and, and a normal storm I'd do 20 to 30 brooches, like where the mast is in the water, underwater at about 120 degrees or greater um, and then should pop upright. But I'd never been upside down like yeah. that. Like that yeah. was just like and I can't call it a full rollover in theory because I came back upright the same way I went over but like I was 180 degrees upside down. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was fun. So that's, so that's why I asked her to explain that. <laughs> she kind of played it down a bit, didn't she? <laughs> You'll read about it in the second book when I finish writing that. <laughs> so talking of books, because we've, we've mentioned your book. Yes. Um, but um, tell you've called your book Facing Fear. Yes. And for obvious reasons now that we've heard some of the stories. But as you said, it. It must have been like a bit of a therapy for you writing that book, right? Yeah, and I think so many people had a misconceived idea of who I was. Like I'm this five foot two girl. I'm not overly fit. Like, And they'd see me in this flashy 50 foot ocean racing yacht that looks sexy as hell because she's got all the beautiful posted notes. And, And I think a lot of people had this opinion of who I was and the book really gave me an opportunity to kind of share my true story with yeah. people and allow them to understand, you know, these projects, like it doesn't matter who it is, Kay Cotty, Robert Knox Johnson, Jessica Watson, Jesse Martin, like anyone doing a project like this, it's your entire life yes. commitment. Yes. 
Yeah. And you have to overcome not just the challenges of the trip, but just getting to the start line. Yeah. Like for me, aside from the dismasting, if we delete that out of the equation, I still think getting to the start line is harder than doing any of the records I've completed to date. Fascinating. Like I still yeah. believe that. Yeah. Um, and I'm campaigning at the moment for a New Zealand speed record and I'm still struggling. Like I still can't raise enough sponsorship. I'm still trying to get to the start line and I'm leaving in like three weeks. Wow. <laughs> so it's always like it's this cat and mouse of like down to the wire where you can't do certain things till you get the funding, but the funders don't generally come on board till last minute because they want to make sure you're going to leave. And, like, you know, it's this whole sort of scenario. But, yeah, it's just it's hard work. And I think yeah. that the the story allowed me to really show, I guess, my true character through yep. that and that yep. perseverance and dedication to the cause. Um, and then I was really grateful to give people an opportunity to take that journey. Mm-hmm. And I, it was really important for me that they were put on the boat with the way it was written mm. and that was something I had to figure out that took me a it took me two years to write that book because I had to go through so many different ways of telling the story and originally it was called Dismasting but as I wrote it I realized there were so many other moments where I nearly died and I was like <laughs> I probably can't just focus on that one because there was this one and that one and that one and that one and that one and so I was like all, them. all right we'll just call it Facing Future. <laughs> And it really also is that journey of like self-discovery and like finding strength and and growing past those moments. And even in this first book, I didn't get a whole lot of chance because I still wasn't mentally quite over that journey yet. I can imagine, yeah. And so like I didn't really dive into that mental health aspect of after Mm. and that gap between the project. I just told the story up till that point. But it's something I'm really looking forward to sharing in the next trip because I think people shy away from things like discussions on mental health and mental well-being and looking after self. And and I think me being really vulnerable with an audience like that, it allows other people that might be struggling, might be having a hard time. They might not want to do an Antarctica. I mean, most people don't. But whatever their challenge is, whether that's just surviving the day and having a shower and getting out of bed and doing something that day, or it's maybe starting their business they've always wanted to do or buying their first house or committing to a life partner or making, you know, having a child, whatever it is. There's so many challenges. And, like, I think I'm I'm living the extreme version of it, but it doesn't change. You are, like, darling, you are. <laughs> but, but people feel the same emotions they in do. everyday they life. Do. And exactly I think right. being able to share that, yeah. It, it can change people. It can it be can. there to support them and it can be a resource that they can turn to and be like, well, if she could do that because she's stupid, but no. if she can do that, <laughs> then maybe I can, you know, I can have a crack at this. Yeah. And I yeah. think the biggest thing I've learned out of all of this is really we create our own future. Yeah. The one we want to live, the only person responsible for making that happen is us. Yes. Is is the yeah. individual. No one's going to give it to you. No one's going to hand it to you on a silver platter. No one's going to make it happen for you. You have to put the work in. You have to show up. You have to step up. But I also think people, and and maybe this is some conditioning just through how we grow up and how the world's structured, but I think we limit what we're capable of with our own attitude, unintentionally and maybe unconsciously. 
But I used to think things like with the clipper race, I'd think oh, I'd really love to go on an adventure like that, but I couldn't, I could never raise $80,000 to do that. I couldn't do that. Yeah. I'd never had any savings more than $2,000 in my life before I did that. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I started really taking on smaller challenges that put me outside that comfort zone and then reflecting on the growth that I'd had through that, that really started to allow me to go, well, why can't I do that? What's stopping me except for me? Yeah. And with that, I was able to shift my mindset. And I think a lot of other people have that ability to shift their mindset too if they really start looking at the broader picture and asking themselves that question, well, what's stopping me? Yeah. The only thing really truly stopping people from achieving anything they want to do and going for those goals and setting those dreams is them. And really, we should be supporting ourselves and cheering ourselves on rather than stopping ourselves. And so... Yeah, I think for me, that's one of the biggest biggest lessons I like to share with people. Taking a break from that uh, interview for just a moment to share with you something that has been very exciting that we launched in 2023, um, and that is Freedom Boat Club at uh, our marina at Bobbin Head, a Pitwater location, and also at Empire Marina Lake Macquarie. Now, what is Freedom Boat Club? Well, it's a pretty exciting concept that brings boating to so many more people, which is why we decided it would be a great thing to do. You see, it's a, it's a joining fee and then a monthly fee, and that allows you to use a selection of boats at your club location. And then it also allows you to go boating at over 400 club locations around the world. So uh, they're day boats, they're 24 foot-ish. They vary from a trophy fishing boat to a sea ray, fast and wonderful family boat to a you know there might be ribs there might be pontoon boats in other locations there's all sorts of different boats that are appropriate for the location that they're in that's freedom boat club it's a really exciting concept i love it because we train you how to drive the boat we get your boat license if you need it as well we take care of the boat we clean the boat we refuel the boat you just pay for the fuel so you literally rock up drive the boat away, enjoy your day out on the water, come back and don't have to worry about that boat in any way, shape or form. It's kind of cool. So if you'd like to get into Freedom Boat Club at our locations at Bobbin Head, Pitwater and indeed Lake Macquarie, then give us a buzz on 02-9457-2001 or inquire at curious at freedomboatclub.com. Dot com. It would be lovely to have you as part of the club because it's a community as well, which is just lovely. We do events and fun things for the club members as well. So that really means I can see you on the water soon. And do you do you go to therapy? Do you, do you see anyone to help I've you never been able mental? to afford therapy. Come on. <laughs> I enough. sail. That's my therapy. Yeah, yeah. So you use, you literally use the blue mind as, as your therapy. Yeah. And I think like I, I do reflect a lot and I do yeah. a lot of visualizing as well. So yeah. like when I commit to a goal, I'm already seeing the success at the, the finish line of that goal before I've started that journey. I know where I'm trying to get to. So I've set a firm point in my, in my road, yeah. so to speak or my sailing path, um, to get to that point. And 
I, you know, I've, I've sort of previously was very internal with my emotions and not sharing it. Not, I didn't want to be seen as vulnerable. And I think the big thing too, um, and this isn't for everybody, but like being a girl in this industry, like I knew when I dismastered, if I abandoned the boat there and then I would never get another project off the ground. I'd be slandered as the girl that could and like, you know, the one that never quite made it. Um, and it was hard enough to get going in the first place. So there was like this whole kind of version of like having to sort of show up as being successful and ready to go to actually raise the money that I needed to go and and like not having it together but not being able to express that. And so the book and, you know, we've got the documentary coming out now called Ice Maiden, which is I'm on. I'm excited to yeah. see that on Friday. Um, so that's broadcasting. It's only in Australia at the moment, but it'll be going on tour as a, a slightly edited, shorter version um, with the Ocean Film Festival World Tour uh, across Australia and New Zealand um, from March onwards. Um, but yeah, so that, and then eventually we'll go for broadcast and then online release. So yeah, keep an eye out for it. But that's the first story of the dismasting and, and that survival, that origin story. Yeah. And I think now it's really, yeah, like being able to share the vulnerability, it empowers the story so much more and it empowers the people following me yeah. to take on their challenges. Like the amount of people that have come up to me and said, oh, I've signed up to the Clipper race now or I bought that boat or I've done this because I followed you or because I saw you do Isn't this. is that or, the most amazing experience? Yeah. When people do that to you. And it's I mean, surreal. I get, little, like it's, I get little messages in the back of Instagram that say I've just done my boat licence or I've just bought yeah. my first boat. Or, and you think... Wow, you immediately see you are actually making a difference. Exactly. And how yeah. good does that feel? Yeah. It's such a good feeling. Yeah. It's, yeah. I had a, I had a teacher recently um, message me to say that she was um, showing, she, she teach, teaches marine studies in yeah. a school. Yeah. And she said, I, I often show your posts or your podcast to, to the, to to the, the kids. students. Yeah. And awesome. And I'm like, wow, that's yeah. just like, mind-blowing yeah that you're actually making a difference I mean I'm nothing like you but it's it's just amazing it's everyone together right it's yeah. not a me or a you or any of that yeah. it's everyone together just building people up yeah because people are amazing we oh, can do incredible. so incredible things incredible but we've got to support each other while yeah. we do that as Absolutely. well yeah and and every now and then we've got to be that um because it, I know um you say that we've got to create our own futures and blah 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 but we 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 do need every now and then a little bit of luck as well because because some some moments can be you know the fact that you've um, the boat came up again. <laughs> well, that's because I chose the right boat. That's not luck. <laughs> but I have you know, a funny thing you know, about luck. A, a little a little thing could have happened. Well, I guess it's it's more the opportunities that you make in terms of you know who you mix with, who you. Um, because there is there is a piece now that they're saying that I guess because so much of the focus has been on you make your life, you make it what mm. it is, da 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 yeah. da. Those people that do go through a really bad time yeah. through no fault of their own. Yeah. Like absolute crap some, happens. Yeah. Somebody dies, they're in a car accident, what whatever yeah. happens, right? Um they are then feeling um 
more likely to have a very bad mental health yeah, moment. Yeah, of course, yeah. Because they think they're supposed to be able to create their own life. Yeah. But some, a whole bunch of things has happened to them. That, that's but that's the thing too. It's really, okay to not yeah. be okay. Exactly. And it's yeah. okay to talk to people about the fact that yeah. you're not okay. Like yeah. that's that's something that we as a culture have never yeah. really dived into or shared that front, like no. that feeling that openly with people. Yeah. And I think if people spoke about it, particularly men, because yes. so many men try and front up and be yes. like, I'm in charge, I'm secure, I'm this, I'm that, yeah. and they're struggling. Yeah. And it's okay to not Especially be Australian okay. Because I've been told it's massively like the suicide rate for guys in Australia is huge. Yeah. Like yeah. particularly in rural communities where they're a bit more isolated and they've got a lot of financial pressures and things like weather impacting their farm crops and massive problem. Um yeah. and it it shouldn't be overshadowed. There yeah. is no one-stop solution. But the fact that if we want a specific future, we are the only ones responsible. Yeah. And I think if you are facing your version of a dismasting, yes. you go through it, you process it, you deal, you survive it, you yeah. know, first and foremost, you go into survival mode. And then when you can and when you feel capable, you then start the processing of it. And then once you've gone through that, then you can start focusing on, okay, well, what's next? What mm. do I want past this situation? What's my future look like to me? And that could be as simple as I'm quite happy where I am. I'm going to be this for a little bit longer. And that's totally fine too. Mm. There shouldn't be like I don't think everyone has to go out and set a world record or go for big goals and have these lofty things. Your version of success might be having a true connection to a partner and a really happy, healthy family. Mm. That's your version. And that's totally fine too. Like that's, yeah. it's not my version, but it's, it's still success, you know. And, and how did you get through it? How did you have friends that you lean on, family you lean on? Yeah, how, look, how do you get through it? Yeah, I think um, having the right support team and, and making sure that that support team can support you when you lose your way is so critical. Um, so just a, a very short little story. Um, when I restarted after Cape Town, and I told some of this, I didn't get into the details, but um, I talked about the fact I was drifting for five days, trying to avoid these storms, trying to get south. I was seasick. I was, you know, I had a lot of chafe issues and stuff happening with the new mast and rigging. And I then was trying to, I had a how you'd come free, which is a rope that goes up the mast. And so I was up on the side of the boat at the rigging, trying to untangle it. And I didn't see the way, but I just heard this crack of a roar right before it swept me off my feet and dragged me overboard. Oof. And I managed to hook my elbow on the piece of rigging as I was washed past and get my other hand on my wrist, which anchored me to the rigging. But my legs, my waist, my hips were all overboard in the Southern Ocean. And the boat was on its side. The mast was in the water. So I was underwater over the side of the boat. And I'm in my life jacket. I've got a safety tether on, but... If I'm lost from the boat, there's no coming back from that. No. Um, and so as she self-righted, I don't know how it happened, but as she self-righted, I managed to roll into the boat rather than like it kind of scooped me back onto the deck and I made my way back to the cockpit and I was a shaking, sobbing, miserable mess because I had just had that moment of like instant I'm about to die mm -hmm. and I'd already had the dismasting and everything take place. And I went inside the boat and I already had those doubts mainly because of the naysayers, the people telling me I couldn't do it, that I wasn't strong enough, that I'm just a girl, that I shouldn't go, that it's suicide, we're just going to have to rescue you. Like all these other people's hate and messages and negativity had come into my mind and I went below 
And I collapsed on the floor of the boat for about an hour, just uncontrollably crying because I was just so shot, like just shaken from that. Yeah. And I called mum up and I, 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 it was this funny thing because I had such a big pressure on me to succeed because if I didn't, we'd probably have to sell the boat. Yeah. And declare bankruptcy and all of this stuff. And so, but I knew at that point I, I had gotten so emotional and I'd been so shaken that I really felt like I was going to die if I continued. Yeah. And so I called mum and I broke into sobs on the phone and I was like, I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. I quit. And I quit. I, I fully, firmly quit. That was it. I was turning the boat around. I was going to Cape Town. I was not continuing because I wasn't going to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hung up the phone from that. I was in a storm. So I went home to stayed out, rode out the storm because I couldn't do anything anyway. And afterwards that night, mum had stewed on it. And she she knows me very well, but she's also a very positive thinker and a bit of an outside-the-box thinker. And she knew that if I quit, I would never forgive myself. Yeah. And I knew it too. Yeah. But I was willing to take that. And I was just never I was just going to be hanging up my hat for sailing, period. Like never to go back to it again. Um, and she said to me in an email, she said, imagine like if you need to come back we'll figure it out we'll find a way we'll loan some money we'll mortgage the house whatever we need to do like we'll figure it out just stay safe but if you feel like this is so much different I want you to imagine this scenario imagine that you're 72 days into the world record you've never dismastered you're one day ahead of the existing world record which I was um, before the dismasting and Australia is a four-week sail away and imagine you're feeling like this, you're experiencing conditions like this, you've got the problems with the boat that you currently have. Would that be enough if Australia and the finish line was four weeks away, would that be enough to make you quit? And I stewed over that for a good couple of hours and I pondered it and I thought about the different scenarios and I thought about what I would actually do in that situation. And I realised that I was more than anything looking at the second part of that trip as a second starting point, but it was the continuation of that first record. And Australia was just four weeks away. Mm. And it was the fact that land was behind me 250 Mm. miles away, a day sail that I was thinking of opting out, but I never would have had that choice to opt out in the Southern Ocean a thousand miles from land. I wouldn't have even contemplated it. I would have just persevered and kept going. And so you know, there's been a million times in my life where there's been someone like my mum, my sister, a friend, a confidant, whoever it is, some random stranger on the beach that I've chatted to who believed in me, it could be anyone that's just given me enough confidence in my decision to continue that's kept me on this path. Mm. And without them and without all the volunteers and sponsors and the supporters, like none of this would happen, mm. none of it. Mm. And like that's quite remarkable when you think of how many like hundreds of people coming together to help me get across an ocean yeah like and that's, that's that's what fundamentally it's all about isn't yeah. it yeah you, can, you can't do anything alone no nah, it's yeah. all teamwork even though it's a solo trip yeah and so going back to that mindset and that idea of like creating our own future we, yeah. we do create our own future but that's as impacted by who you surround yourself with exactly as yeah. what actions you take yeah yeah, and that's and yeah, that's a really, ultimately really you can do part. anything if you set your mind to it, exactly. if you want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<gasps> so good. <laughs> so good. All these heavy, heavy topics. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. But our, our listeners love it. Actually. Yeah. Look, I love sharing it's, uh, it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's the real you, right, yeah. we're getting so, to yeah. because that's what they want to hear. They know what you've done. They know. Exactly. That, they see the they, glossy yeah. highlights real. Yeah, but uh, but they want to know the real Lisa. Yeah. Because um, you're a pretty special person to get to know. <laughs> so what do we want to to finish this off with, oh my goodness, it's been so, it's, it's been quite emotional for me. <laughs> I, I've been sitting here listening to these stories going, my goodness, how does she do this? <laughs> oh dear. So let's help you get some more help for your next trip because your next trip is to New Zealand. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that is big for you. Yes. Um, tell me which record you're trying to set. Okay, so it seems like they're small records, but the reason behind the records is probably bigger than the records themselves. So coming off the back of Antarctica, I've got all these microplastic results. And what we found is plastic in every sample the whole way around Antarctica. And I can go into the details of that, but I'll, I'll leave you to visit the website and take a look at the website and learn about it. But effectively what I'm trying to do is use the platform of these New Zealand records as an education tool and a media access point to create awareness around these microplastic results. And so uh, it's a Sydney to Auckland speed record. The original record was set by James Prezovic in 2020? Yeah, 2020. Um, And he... Not long ago. No, no. He did it at the beginning of COVID. Yeah. And he did it in 12 days. Um, he got stuck in a really big high pressure system and the whole trip, he's an ex, um, Australian soldier. Um, and he, uh, was doing it to raise awareness of PTSD. Okay. Um, so it's really important cause. And I want to keep promoting what he was doing through that challenging of his record as well. Mm-hmm. And he's given me his support to go out and challenge it, which is That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I'm hoping to leave uh, around the weekend of the 24th, 25th of February, so just a few weeks away yeah. from the Australian National Maritime Museum in Sydney and do the speed record to Auckland, which is around the top of New Zealand. Um, and then I'll have a sort of a week or two in New Zealand before setting off and doing the Auckland to Auckland circumnavigation around New Zealand. So I'll go from Auckland north. And then I'll go around the top of New Zealand, down the sort of west coast of New Zealand, go below Stewart Island, and then come around and go back up to Auckland on the east coast. Um, Now, that trip's never been done before. And so at the moment, I'm trying to raise the actual registration fees, which is nearly $5,000 to register as a record. Um, And I have to get it approved by the board because it's not an established record. So I'll be setting the first record. Uh Then I'm anticipating a lot of people will go and challenge it, which is awesome. Um, But yes, so the goal is to to set that record as well and um, become the first person to do it and then use that as a platform to ignite conversation around climate action, sustainability, the microplastic results, and ultimately talk to people about what, what actions can they do yeah. and what impact can they generate. And, um, yeah, so that's the goal. So cool. please, 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 if you are someone who's in a position to support, reach out via my website. Um, I am desperate for any contacts, suggestions, ideas, and uh, would love to hear from you. 
Cool. So that website is? The website and all my social media uh, is lisablairsalestheworld.com. So um, if you just Google Lisa Sailing, you'll find me um, whatever you want to come up with. But, yeah, my social media, Facebook, um, Instagram and the likes is all Lisa Blair Sales the World as well. Um, and I have a live tracker when I'm at sea and I blog daily when I'm on record. So there's going to be lots of videos and blogs and stuff coming back off the boat at the same time. That blogging must be quite a good therapy in itself. It's great when you want to write a book because you've got a, yes, a really good blog. Yeah. <laughs> um, but more uh, like it's almost an hour each blog. Yeah. So when you're balancing that against the sleep deprivation, the fatigue, the boat being in a storm, you're trying to write and you're whole body's getting airborne while you're trying to type on a computer like it's quite a challenge Um, but I do find it's really important for me again going back to that idea of taking people on the journey and blogging is a really great tool to do that so when I'm active at sea I'm always blogging every day I'll I'll issue a blog at sunset and um, everyone can tune in with their morning coffee or something can read what disaster I've managed to deal with the night before or, <laughs> and for anyone who is They'll interested. They'll put their day in perspective won't they? Yeah exactly. Oh I've got a meeting I didn't really want to get to but oh, no, Lisa Lisa's been demasted again so you know. I've no been. no we're not putting that out there that's not on the radar. Lisa succeeded in a new world record that's the one we want to hear. Um, oh but goodness. anyone who is interested uh, if they go to the website and scroll down a little on the home page yep. we've got like highlighted blogs um, one of those is the blog I wrote the night after the dismasting. Wow. And it's well worth a read. It's not the story told as it's told in the book, but it's the it's the sequence of events and you can it's it's just go and read it. It's yeah. a couple pages. When you've got a bit of spare time, have a cup of coffee, settle in and um, go on a bit of a, a bit of a survival ride. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um so LisaBlairSalesTheWorld.com is the website and that is L-I-S-A-B-L-A-I-R. Yes. Sells the world. And it's sales as in like yacht sailing, not selling stuff, which a lot of people put that in. Yes. like, I can't find you. A-I-L-S, not S-E-L-L-S. Yeah. Although you do have an eco shop, don't you? I do. So that, yeah, so on the shop you can buy some stuff to support the project or you can pre-order a copy of the book. So I'm completely sold out of the first print order. Oh, yay. Yeah, which is awesome. And we're just in the process of doing a second print run at the moment. So just getting that together um, and I should have the books in time for leaving for this New Zealand record um, and then we've also got the Kindle versions and stuff are on the website so you can download the ebook um, if you're somewhere overseas because postage is ridiculously expensive. <gasps> I know right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh that's so exciting. Yeah. So we are going to see each other again on Friday because you have your fantastic. First screening it's a, a little private special screening of Ice Maiden, Ice Maiden for sponsors and supporters and yeah cool people um who have gotten me to where I am today so yeah and and I've only watched it on my laptop oh and I watched it like maybe three months ago on my laptop so and I watched it once so it'll be really cool to see it on the big screen at the Maritime Museum um and yeah and just get everyone's reactions as they're enjoying it so is it a documentary or is it reenactment or so it's a it's a just over an hour document uh sorry a hour and 
100 minutes, so an hour and a half documentary. Yep. Yep. Um, and we've got Jessica Watson and Dick Smith in it as well as my shore manager and, and different people who are involved in the campaign, like my weather router and the likes um, are all interviewed in it. And, um, yeah, and it's all footage from the boat with the dismasting, all that real footage plus interview content. And, yeah, so they've they've done a really remarkable job in telling a factual story of a documentary but almost putting it together like you're watching a movie. Yes. Like a motion yeah, picture movie. Yeah, they do that well now, don't they? Yeah so, yeah, so it really takes you on the journey. I watched the first one and I called the director up, Nat, straight after and I said, Nat, I feel like I can go and sail around Antarctica again. Like I feel so <laughs> geared up to like go. I feel so inspired. Like you've done a great job. Oh, that's um, amazing. So, yeah, so I feel yeah. like a lot of people will watch it and just feel like, okay, yeah, I can go and do something cool too. Yeah. Yeah, so we kind of covered it, we're just, but we'll just clarify that in 2017 you did the women's record with the one, one stop yeah, and then in 2022 you achieved the full around Antarctica, the fastest. Yes, knocking 10 knocking days off 10 the existing record. The record, which is yeah. just amazing. Do you think you'll ever do it again? I don't really feel like I have a need, but yeah. after New Zealand, I'm planning an Arctic world record at the okay. moment. And the goal is of that of is now I have, yeah, only <laughs> mine, you know, what, have, what else am I going to do with my spare time, right? <clears throat> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it seems like a logical follow on. Yeah. And for me, as much as I enjoy the Southern Ocean, it's my favorite ocean of the whole world, um, as terrifying as it can be. It's so incredibly beautiful down there. Yeah. Um, I've done it. And, and I'd go down for research and I'd definitely look at commissioning my boat into a research vessel at a later date to do more remote research in places like that. But at the moment, I've got all this data from Antarctica with the science. And if I can create a replica set of data for the Arctic Circle, how cool would that be as far as the two poles? Yeah. And then I get to tell people that I'm bipolar, which I just, I can't wait to be able to tell people. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Because why not? Once again, that is so you. <laughs> so I'm aiming for 2026 on that one, but the budget's huge. Um, and, and that's uh, not taking any away from anybody that actually does have bipolar. We're just no, like, and of yeah, course yeah. not. No, that's and a I, terrible you know, thing It's to a have. pun on the polar yeah. regions, not yeah. mental health. But, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, so I'm looking to do that and um, that'll be a three- to five-year campaign to get together. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> So Amazing. that's a big one. So um, do New Zealand and then um, hopefully be starting to open negotiations for major sponsors for that one. Yeah. Um, but the goal is also to do it in a volcanic fibre bioresin boat and um, basically volcanic fund. Volcanic fibre? Yeah. So there's a new, it's not a new material. It's been around for about 50 years, but we've just started applying it to the maritime industry and it's 10 times stronger than fiberglass, but the same weight. Um, so it's almost as strong as carbon fiber, but it has the same flexibility as fiberglass. So it doesn't shatter on impact the same ah, way carbon does. Yeah. But what I found is I want to fund the research to make this material mainstream effectively and then hand it to everyone building fiberglass boats on a silver platter yeah. and be like, hey, here's the next best thing. Here's all the data you need. Here's the supply chain research, the scalability, the plastic impact studies, the carbon footprint studies, and put all that together and use the Arctic record as the way of generating the funding for that research and the education elements and create a consumer education program through that as well so that there's a demand for a market for sustainable boats in the future. Yeah. Um, with fiberglass, unfortunately, at the moment, we currently have like 30 to 40 million fiberglass boats worldwide. 
that are reaching their end of life. Yeah. And that's a that's a delay in the cause and effect. And we're building more boats today than we ever have before. And the industry is going up 50% every year from what I understand. And so to end up in 30 years time with, you know, so many more boats and people can't dispose of them correctly because it's so expensive. So people are abandoning them, sinking them, they're turning into microplastics. And it's a major, major problem. Um, so if I can prove that there's a better material that we can fully recycle and create that structure and then promote that by sailing that boat around the Arctic Circle in a world first. Um, and that project's only possible because of climate change. So it's a natural follow-on for the Climate Action Now boat. And yeah, so it's a, a big, big goal. And um, I feel like I'm one of the few people that's that can do it. Yeah. I given agree my with background you. and my passion for science and education. So yeah. Yeah. Why not you? If uh, not me, who? If not you, who? And what a way, great way to end this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you are absolutely outstanding, Lisa. Oh, thank thanks you so, so much for much. the chat. It was awesome. Oh no, thank you. It's um I know our listeners would have really enjoyed this. I think this is going to be two episodes, actually. So um, That's all good. Yeah. And do reach out, people, because uh, I'm all open to all sorts of fun ideas. So definitely get in contact if you've got a great idea for me. Yeah, Lisa is actually really approachable, guys. So I'm make only sure human. you do reach out to her. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's an incredible woman. So thank you so much for being here, Lisa. Lovely talking to you. Really appreciate it. And we'll see you guys on the water soon. Just let you know that you can advertise your business right here on the Boat Princess podcast. We have a targeted audience of boaters and those in the boating industry that you can talk to through our advertising, in between interviews, or perhaps throughout the season as a message in our intros and outros. So if you'd like to get involved in getting your business advertised on the Boat Princess podcast, which has a worldwide audience of around 31,000 listeners a month, then we'd love to hear from you. Contact us on info at theboatprincess.com. We offer packages from one announcement on one podcast right up to the entire season. I look forward to sharing a message about your amazing business to our audience.